from WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. On the show today, Girls Play Trumpet too. At least that's the name of a new initiative by New Orleans trumpeter Troy Sawyer to get more young women to pick up the brass instrument. Plus, we hear how community members in Baton Rouge are rallying to save their beloved theater from closing after a massive budget deficit. But first... The Central Wetlands Reforestation Collective recently launched an initiative to plant 63,000 trees in Orleans and St. Bernard parishes. This is part of larger efforts to restore the bayou ecosystems that have been impacted by coastal erosion, saltwater intrusion, and hurricanes. In October, we told you a bit about this project as it was just getting started now we'll check in with Verte's Lou Palmer, who recently went to a day of volunteer tree planting and is here to tell us more. Lou, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Lou, what can you tell us about this project so far? We're undergoing so much land loss across the state. Why is it important to plant trees and natural grasses in these specific areas? So, you know, as they mentioned, there's this incredible land loss that's happening from coastal erosion. The estimation is one football field of land mass every 100 minutes. Um, and so, you know, what's happening is that these areas where the trees would normally be um, growing, there's further salt coming in, which is affecting the trees. Um, and so it's basically essentially left, uh, you know, the area very vulnerable to um, to storms, to hurricanes without that, that natural buffer happening. And so what this replanting effort is doing is, you know, restoring young saplings to the area as well as um, you know, native grasses and all of these other native plants that help to hold the land mass together. Um, and then at the same time, they're also building berms, which are you know building up land mass as well, so that they can sort of continue this planting um, with the long-term goal of making the area um, you know as resilient as it once was in terms of that natural ecosystem. Would you tell us about the Central Wetlands Reforestation Collective? five different organizations that make it up. How are they working together on this ambitious feat? So these organizations, you know, have worked together in the past, but with this grant that they received from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority, they're able to, you know, coordinate with each other and look at this long term over the next three years to really scale up what they're doing. So, um, for example, you know, one of the organizations, Common Ground Relief, they have... Um, a cypress tree, you know, a sapling um, area where they keep the young saplings in lower ninth, and then they're transported from there to areas like Bayou Genvenu, um, with the organizations who are traveling out there together, bringing them out by boat and, and doing that planting together. So it takes a lot of physical labor and a lot of coordination, and they're able to, you know, um, track each of the saplings that they're putting down and sort of look at the whole area um, over this next period as they're doing this work. When we last covered the story, uh, volunteer tree planting days were just getting started. I know you attended one. Can you tell us about that experience and how all that worked? Oh, it was great. At first, I was really unsure, you know, how are we going to bring 200 cypress saplings into the bayou? Um, but yeah, it was, you know, that work that we did, it was, they brought the saplings into the boat and they just sort of transferred them there and then brought them um, out into these sort of very thin strips of land that are also, you know, um, experiencing invasive species like nutria and um, hog life and all of these other aspects that are kind of affecting the the plant life. So they brought everything out there and then they sort of spend the whole day 
you know, in, in the, the mud and deep in the mud, kind of digging holes and putting these um, plants in and protecting them from the invasive species as well. So um, it was a really great day. Luckily, we had good weather, um, but they're going to be continuing that in the new year. And last week was their, their last planting week of the year. Well, besides planting trees, what else are the volunteers doing to help ensure the health of the ecosystem and, and the safety of those who live there? So another part of the effort is using recycled materials to actually build up the land and build these um, what they call berms. So um, in the Lower Ninth Ward in particular, they collect both recycled Christmas trees. So that'll be something they'll be doing, um, you know, after the holiday season, as well as collecting uh, glass bottles from the community, which are then brought to another organization um, and turned into um, sort of like gravel, which and all those things together can be laid on top and layered on top to create sort of fortifying the land from uh, to build up that additional uh, barrier and then to protect from other invasive species like water hyacinth that are pushing in um, on the places that they're trying to replant. Lou Palmer is a reporter for Verite News. Lou, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Last month, we brought you the story of Theodore Baton Rouge, which was in danger of closing in its 78th season due to rising production costs and budget mismanagement. But a slew of board members, volunteers, and their one full-time employee came together, and the theater has already broken its initial fundraising goal. Here to tell us more about how Theater Baton Rouge is coming back after a $200,000 deficit is board treasurer Pete Rizzo. Pete, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're also joined by Sammy Vaughn, a Central High School student and volunteer costumer. Sammy, thank you too for being on. Thank you. Let's back up a minute for anyone who may have missed our last conversation on this, Pete. Can you tell us how exactly the Theater Baton Rouge ended up incurring so much debt? Well, it takes a lot of things to go wrong to create that kind of debt. But the primary factors were after COVID with the supply chain issues and the increase in cost of every good and service, sets that were costing us ten dollars or $12,000 to build were now costing us twice that because of the increase of cost of supplies, things that you really couldn't do without. Our audiences stayed strong, and we were probably overcommitted to keeping ticket prices affordable. Um, and in the process of rising cost and income being fixed, uh, the scales got tipped in the wrong direction. The persons that were running our, our theater were just undermanned. Uh, COVID caused cutbacks in personnel that we never really recovered. Um, and there were too few people doing too many jobs. And some things just went and missed. Uh, there was no gross negligence on anyone's part or, you know, failure to care. Um, it was just a big task. And as deficits usually do, there is a, a continuing hope that something will occur that will help you solve the problem. And that thing just didn't come in time. Right. And it, and it was to the point that the doors were going to close at Theater Baton Rouge. So how did you address the problem? What did you do to pull yourself out of this? Well, first, I'll say that when you ask me, there was a bunch of people that were involved in that process. Um, I was the person who drew the short straw, who became the treasurer um, and, and was appointed to that position. Once we found this out, I took over for the resigning treasurer. The real the real answer was we just did a lot of digging. We went through every cost. We went through every expense. 
we went through every possible way we could save a nickel. Um, and we didn't assume we were ever getting the best price. And the truth is, is the community stepped up in such an amazing way, not just in donations, but vendors helping us with old bills, vendors giving us breaks for future purchases, as well as a countless amount of people giving hours and hours and hours of expertise. People like Sammy who said, what can I do? What can I do? So where we had employees who were on the payroll doing jobs, we now had volunteers saying, I can fill that gap. I can do that job. Now, Sammy, that's a good point to go to you. Can, can you give us a little bit of your background, your experience in theater production, especially when it comes to making costumes? I know that's where you volunteered. Yes. So I actually started as an actor on stage in the Young Actors Program, and I very quickly got taken under the costumer at the time's wing. And I've always been backstage helping. And I know how to sew, but it was never really brought up until Legally Blonde. We had a costumer that was very stressed out and was like, I need help. So I stepped in and I helped her out with the sewing and construction. And I was the assistant costumer. And that's when they sort of started trusting me to take on these bigger jobs. And that's when I costumed my first show, Alice in Wonderland, after that. And ever since then, I've been helping costumers, helping organize. I am currently the costumer of Christmas Carol. So I've just been helping everyone else where I, I can and costuming my own shows. So when you found out what happened at Theater Baton Rouge, why did you decide to step right in? You were quickly jumping to do whatever you could do. Well, Theater Baton Rouge is very much my second home. Not only do I participate in things there, but my mom, my little brother, my dad, my older brother were all a part of Theater Baton Rouge. And I think it's something that really brings us together as a family. And I've met some of my best friends there, as well as amazing people who help me in my everyday life. And I think it was really important for me to really cling on and help Theater Baton Rouge and not give up. We're speaking with Theater Baton Rouge board treasurer Pete Rizzo and Central High School student and volunteer costumer Sammy Vaughn. The initial goal was to raise $100,000. That happened. Pete, what will that money be used for and what happens next for fundraising? Well, we were so fortunate. We set a $100,000 goal and within three weeks we were there, which if you're looking at your own budget in your household, it's amazing that we found that many people that willing to help us. Um, that money immediately went into our general fund. We took every vendor we had a debt to, and I sat down and I made phone calls and said, we'd love to pay you, and we'd really, really love for you to forgive our debt in support of the theater, or forgive piece of the debt, or give us six months to pay the debt. And I was amazed. Phone call after phone call, folks said, you know what? We'll make a donation. You can forgive our debt. Um, there was vendor after vendor that forgave one, two, five thousand $5,000 in past due payments just as a way to help us out. And then we took the remainder of the debt and we took that money and we just started dividing up those things that we need to pay off because it was important as a community organization that we paid every person that had trusted us to pay them for what they had, the service or good that they had given us. 
You know, when we, when we last discussed the story, uh, we were told that after the budget deficit was announced, the community all came together, and you're saying the same thing. They came together with their services, like that movie that's everyone's watching this time of year. It's a wonderful life. George Bailey's friends and neighbors helped bail him out for the situation with the bank. What do you think it says about the Baton Rouge Theater community, the community as a whole, that so many people wanted to help? You know, Sammy's story is so familiar here where you have generations, parents, children, grandparents involved. You lose count of the number of people. Just with a Christmas carol, we'll see several thousand people in our theater over these two weeks. And that happens six, seven, eight times a year where we see thousands of guests that come in and out of our theater. We had a town hall two months ago, feels like it was two years ago, and we had a theater full of folks that said, well, my first show was 1971. My first show was 1978. My first show was 2019. An array of people that after one experience said, I've made a lifetime commitment to Theater Baton Rouge. Because what happened here was, was magical for them. And that's not just something that happens at Theater Baton Rouge. It's the magic of theater. It's the magic of music. It's the transcendent power of what we do as artists, that we connect in a way that you can't do at your job and you can't do at your school. And sometimes it's hard, even in your household, to connect to your family in a way that you can connect with your theater family. Board treasurer for Theater Baton Rouge, Pete Rizzo, and Central High School student and volunteer costumer, Sammy Vaughn. Thank you both for being here. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having us. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. A professional trumpet player who grew up in New Orleans is sharing his passion for music and his instrument in particular by promoting female trumpet players through his project, Girls Play Trumpet Too. Troy Sawyer introduces young women to the trumpet to enhance representation in a male-dominated segment of the music industry. The current group of young female trumpeters will celebrate a year of hard work with a debut holiday concert this week with more about GPTT, Girls Play Trumpet 2. Founder Troy Sawyer joins us now. Troy, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Troy, let's start with your history with this instrument, the trumpet, and what inspired you to start this program that teaches girls to play? Well, first of all, growing up in New Orleans, I come from a musical family. My great-grandfather, Louis D. D. James, um, played at Preservation Hall. He co-wrote songs with the great Buddy Bolden, played along with Louis Armstrong. So I come from all types of um, um, heritage. My cousin, Leon Bridges, he sings. A lot of people know him. Um, So my first instrument was a violin, and I played that in kindergarten for a couple of years, and then I wasn't feeling the violin after a while, and I asked my mom to buy me a trumpet in fourth grade, so she bought me a trumpet, and I remember the first time I actually picked up the trumpet, I could not create a sound, so I, I kept on practicing, and I wound up creating a sound, and it just blew my mind away, and I had been attached to the trumpet ever since. So growing up in New Orleans, I didn't see any professional women trumpet players. So for a long time, I felt as though that women or girls could not play the trumpet on a professional level until until I saw one at Dillard University, Ingrid Jensen, that's her name, from Canada. 
I say, wow, she can play. So that moment knocked down the walls of gender bias for me. And then traveling around the world after that, I saw a lot of professional women trumpet players. And so after Hurricane Katrina coming back to New Orleans, I wound up teaching in the school system, teaching music. And for some reason, I was inspiring a lot of girls to play the trumpet and encourage them to play the trumpet. Because I feel like for years that a lot of band directors, there are men, specifically men, would discourage girls from playing a brass instrument like a trumpet. Lutroy, let's talk about why this is. Why are there so few girls and women playing the trumpet? What have you found? And and how do you loosen those mindsets to get someone to give the trumpet a try? Well, there's a lot of the gender bias where they put a label on various instruments because it takes a lot of um, strength um, to play a brass instrument. And band directors will say, okay, that is a masculine instrument because it represents power, it represents leadership. And so since you're a girl, you should play something that's a little bit softer and like a flute or a woman instrument or play the piano. So I, I always say that, hey, um, girls can do anything that boys can do. Women can do anything that men can do. Our actually inspirational figure is Valeda Snow, which I didn't know who she was. It was actually one of my best trumpet players. She told me about her doing Black History Month time. She did some research. She asked me, do you know who Valeda Snow is? I said, um, I really don't know. And so she told me about Valeda Snow. That's why she's an inspirational figure for girls play trumpets too. And Valeda Snow played around the time with Louis Armstrong and she was entitled with the, the, the title of being the queen of the trumpet. Even Louis Armstrong called her Little Louis. And um, that's what my program is all about for is educating them about the history of professional female trumpet players. So mm. I want to go back to uh, how I and what inspired me to create this program. Of course, it's the story I just told, but by me teaching in the school system, I felt like I needed to create my own program. And I was thinking of like various programs I can do. And it just hit me the vision. I said, you know what? Girls play trumpets too. And I could focus on encouraging girls to play the trumpet and uh, and even mentoring girls and having various people come in to mentor them because I feel like in the school system, a lot of girls are screaming for help. We have all these different programs for boys, but we have forgotten our girls. And in the schools, like a lot of girls are actually fighting more than the boys. And so I feel like this program is really going to tap into the soul of the girls and, and give them that mentorship, give, give, them, give them that foundation and empowering them and inspiring them to play the trumpet. But it's bigger than just playing the trumpet. It opens up their passion. It opens up their soul and the direction that they can go in their purpose in life. We're speaking with Troy Sawyer, founder of Girls Play Trumpet 2, a New Orleans-based program with the mission to inspire more girls to play the trumpet. What, what's in, what was involved in getting the, the program off the ground, and what exactly does Girls Play Trumpet 2 offer? Basically, Girls Play Trumpet 2 is a 501c3 organization that empowers and inspires girls ages 8 through 19 to play the trumpet on a novice and advanced level to increase representation in the male-dominated music industry. So when it comes to the music program that we do every Saturday morning at St. Charles Avenue Baptist Church from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., the first thing we do is the reflection time. And we um, go around the circle and everyone can reflect and express themselves. Tell us how you're feeling, which is a bonding experience because 
um, for us to play as a group, we have to like each other. We have to know each other. We have to build a relationship. We um, learn about professional female trumpet players and great trumpet players that have inspired me, like the great Louis Armstrong, Miles Davis, Lee Morgan. And then we get into the mechanics of the trumpet, learning the fundamentals of music, learning how to read music. And there's a social entrepreneurship component because to be a musician, you're an entrepreneur. And there's a music business component to it too, because growing up in New Orleans with our music teachers, like I was taught by the great Edward Kid Jordan. I remember the first time he actually taught me how to read music. I was part of the Heritage School, the Jazz Camp, the Satchmo Jazz Camp. And they will always tell us to practice, 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 but they did not teach us the business of music. And so that's something that we're offering those girls there has to be an advantage uh, to your location. You're based there in New Orleans, the cradle of jazz. Are, are you drawing in other musicians to help inspire your students? Of course, I have um, Emily Mikesell. She's a trumpet player. She helps um, out with the program. And it's good for them to see someone, especially that looks like them, playing that particular instrument. We performed at the Chloe Hotel yesterday, and I invited um, Veronica, Veronique, I'm sorry, Veronique Dorsey, who plays in an all-female uh, brass band uh, called the Pinnets, the original Pinnets Brass Band. And so she helps out with the program also. So I'll bring in all types of music. I have um, um, Diesel, um, who is a great producer, Grammy-winning winning producer, that produced a lot of stuff for Lil Wayne. He came through and talked about the business and talked about the production side of things. I had uh, Robin Charles, who is um, Ray Charles's daughter. She came through, she's a singer. And various people from even um, Berkeley Juilliard um, that came to the program to inspire the girls to keep doing it. Well, do you envision this uh, expanding to other cities, at like GPTT Atlanta or Dallas or even L.A.? <laughs> yeah, of course, I will. I will. You know what? Um, I've got emails from various people say, are you going to have the program in my city, in my state? And eventually we are, but we're focusing on um, really developing that program in New Orleans, and then we're going to branch out. And that's what we do in New Orleans. We 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 get this flavor and it's passed down orally and we we is in the is in the waters in the red beans and rice and then we branch off and branch out and travel and spread the good news to the world you you, uh, you have a debut christmas holiday concert coming up tell us about that what's planned so the holiday performance is our first holiday performance and concert coming up this thursday december 21st from 6 to 8 at cafe istanbul and we're going to have a special guest, one of my former students named Kennedy Cole. I taught her in fourth grade. She's in 10th grade now. She's been working with the great Tanya Boy Cannon, singing in the choir with her. And she sang on the Soul Rebels um, latest album. And I have been inspiring her and just like pushing her to get her out there because she has so much talent. Like she sang, she sang like uh, Mary J. Blige and Mariah Carey in fourth grade. So I can't wait to have her um, perform with us Thursday. Troy Sawyer, founder of Girls Play Trumpet 2. Troy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. Thanks to our guest, reporter for Verite, Lee Palmer, Theater Baton Rouge Board Treasurer Pete Rizzo, Central High School student and volunteer costumer Sammy Vaughn, 
and founder of Girls Play Trumpet 2 and trumpeter Troy Sawyer. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. Our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Historic New Orleans Collection.